Earlier this morning, we had uh, two of the missionaries of charity joined us for Mass, uh, which is always, I I love whenever I get to see um, the sisters in whatever order. Um, And so it was a a pleasant surprise to have them visit. And I was excited to see them, and um, there's another parishioner here that uh, does some work with them. So right before this Mass, I was uh, talking to her, and um, I said, hey, the sisters were here this morning. So then we proceed to have a conversation about the sisters and we're going over, you know, this and that. And, and I asked her, you know, you know, one of them was new and I, I, she told me her name and I was asking her about the name. She said, oh yes, her name is, um, and, and we're going back and forth and I'm starting to realize there's a disconnect. And we, we successfully had about a 10 minute conversation talking about two completely different people. <laughs> and then I realized I, I began the conversation by simply just saying the sisters. I never actually said the missionaries of charity. She thought I was talking about the CJC sisters, who she also does work with. And there was a, a whole miscommunication. And finally, we realized, like, oh, wow, we're not even talking about the same people. And then it became clear and we laughed about it. But when I tell you, like, that's been my life this whole week. Man, like, I just, maybe you've had weeks like this where you just, like, all week long, you just notice the mistakes that you make. And it's not like there's these, like, big, dramatic, or scandalous mistakes, no, but, like, it's, it's like, little imperfections that actually, like, cause confusion and could have been done differently, and... And decisions that I made that, if looking in hindsight, I probably should have made a different decision, but now it's too late. And it's just been one of those weeks where I, I just became more and more aware of, man, so many limitations. And as I become aware of that in, in prayer um, each morning, you know, I have this, this crucial choice to make. I could sit there and dwell on it and beat myself up over all of these things that I did wrong or I can surrender it to the Lord and allow him to do something with it as imperfect as it is. We make mistakes all the time. We make mistakes, you know, in our families. You know, we say things, we do things that we know we shouldn't have done or we wish we wouldn't have done or said. We make mistakes in the workplace all the time. And we hope that our boss doesn't notice. We hope that other coworkers don't gossip about us because we know we messed up. And we hope that we can just move on. And a lot of times, like these mistakes in our professional lives, in our family lives, just in our normal everyday activity, sometimes as we start to like, become more and more aware of these mistakes, sometimes that starts to bleed into our spiritual lives. And we start to see our relationship with God in terms of the amount of mistakes that we've made. And we start to evaluate and judge our worthiness and and relationship with God based simply off of our limitations, our imperfections, the times that we've sinned through our weaknesses. And sometimes whenever we... Sometimes we don't even realize we're doing this, but, but we have just this, this lens and this perspective that becomes very heavy, and we can become discouraged and beat up, 
especially after you know, many, many years of hard work and effort, whether it's in your family or your professional life or your spiritual life or all the above, all of these years of effort, and you start to realize, man, I'm not where I wish I was. I'm not who I wish I could be. And that could become very heavy and very difficult to accept. Or maybe you look back and you're, you're quite proud of what you've done and you're quite proud of who you've become and what you've been able to accomplish. And so there's a sense of arrogance. There's a sense of pride. There's a sense of, of like just being really proud of what you've done. But then whenever you suddenly start to see a limitation come your way, you get afraid. You have to hide it. You have to keep it from others from noticing and you, you lash out in anger or you put the blame on others because you just can't help the fact that others may see your weaknesses. It's difficult because I think all of us struggle to some extent or another with a, a performance-based mentality. The culture celebrates it. We honor people that do great things and there's nothing necessarily wrong with striving for excellence. However, sometimes we unfortunately put it all out of order and we put a little bit too much emphasis on what we do instead of who we truly are. But it's confusing sometimes because in the gospel today, Jesus says, be perfect for I, for be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That's what he says. So what I'd like to do today is talk a little bit about perfection, what it is and what it is not. Because I believe that it might be something that we all struggle with from time to time. So as always, we like to put it in the first century context. We begin with the literal interpretation. What did the original author, so the author is the Gospel of St. Matthew. So what did, what did St. Matthew intend whenever he wrote these words of Jesus? What did Jesus intend whenever he first said these words in his Sermon on the Mount? So to put it into context, as a reminder, this is the fourth week that we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount. We've been spending four weeks on Matthew chapter 5. It's quite some time because this homily is so important from Jesus that we've been breaking it up and he's been giving us all of these moral teachings. And if you recall, last week we spent some time on what I refer to as the antitheses, where Jesus would say, you have heard that it was said, and he would say something. And he said, but I say, and he would say something else. And he wouldn't abolish what was pre previously said, but he would kind of add his own nuance and make it a little bit more meaningful and even more in-depth for us. So last week, we spent some time on anger and lust. And what I didn't spend time on, but it was still in the readings, there were two other antitheses. It was about being faithful in your marriage and being faithful to your word. This week, we're continuing. There's two more antitheses. The first is to offer no resistance to those who do evil. And the second is to love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So in summary, there's six. Jesus gives us six antitheses. You have heard that it was said such and such, but I say this. And he's telling us, don't be angry, don't be lustful, be faithful to your marriage, be faithful to your word, offer no resistance to evil, and love your enemies. And in summary, he ends all of these six statements with, therefore, 
be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. So let's add a little bit more context. When a first century Jew would have heard, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, they would have probably immediately thought of Leviticus chapter 14, sorry, 19, which was our first reading today. You may have noticed it, where uh, the Lord is speaking to Moses and he says, be holy for I, the Lord, your God am holy. It sounds very similar to what Jesus said about perfection. But when the Lord spoke to Moses, he used the word holy and the, the understanding of holiness in the Old Testament was particularly with an emphasis on the external separation. So uh, to be holy was to be set apart, to be separated. You know, there was a, an aspect of being separated from sin. That, that was there, but there was an emphasis on being separated from things that would make you ritually unclean for temple worship. So, you know, separating yourselves from the Gentiles and from pork and from blood those types of things would make you unclean. Um, there's a lot to be said about that. That's a different, a different homily for a different day. But ultimately, we've, we've talked about this before. The Old Testament understanding of holiness was about separation, this external separation, so that the people of God could be set apart for worship and for God. Jesus is always intentional. He always chooses his words on purpose. And he knew Leviticus 19, but instead of saying, be holy as your heavenly father is holy, he chooses to change the word. And instead he says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And he does it within the context of those six antitheses. So what is perfect? Well, the Greek word that St. Matthew uses is teleos, which is a really good way to translate that is simply to say complete, to have the totality in mind, to, to have the end in mind. So in its fullness, in its completion. And Jesus is teaching us about the new law of love, a love that is not tainted with anger and lust, a love that is committed to, the, to our marriages and to our word, a love that is um, seeking what is best even to our enemies. So when Jesus says, be perfect, he is saying to be complete in love. In other words, to love completely. To love in a way that's not simply external, being set apart, separated from pork and, and you know, kosher laws and all that, but rather to love in totality, in the heart, in its fullness, to love purely, to love faithfully, to love mercifully. In short, to love like Christ. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You see, perfection is not in being flawless, but rather in loving completely. Perfection is to love completely, to love like Christ. But that's hard, right? We know that's hard. We've tried that and it didn't work. We try that every week and we suddenly come to terms face-to-face -face with how imperfect our love is. 
because we're so limited and there's all these expectations in every direction that's coming our way and we just get tired and then we snap and we just don't know how to handle it all. It's really hard to love like Christ. It's really hard to love with purity, fidelity, and mercy. So how can we do it? How can we grow in such a way that we can love perfectly in the way that Christ instructs us? I believe that we will not love perfectly. We will not love completely until we are completely loved. Until we experience personally the perfect, complete love that God has for us. And it's so incredible and intriguing for me to witness how common this is in my own life and in my ministry. For all of us, how often it is we struggle to allow the Lord to love us, to allow ourselves to receive the perfect, complete love that he offers. For some reason, it's so hard to receive it. Think about it. How hard is it for you to receive a compliment? Or how hard is it for you to receive an apology? Is it difficult for you to ask for help? Or is it difficult for you to let someone serve you? It's difficult sometimes, especially whenever the love is undeserved, especially when it's unmerited. It's difficult for us to let ourselves be loved by others because we feel like we are not proving ourselves enough in what we're able to offer. It's difficult to simply and freely receive, especially whenever it's a love that's pure, faithful, and merciful. That's hard. How hard is it for you to hear the words, God loves you? For some reason, that seems so cliche. For some reason, we hear it all the time. It's like, yeah, yeah, okay, I got that. But yet, whenever we take a moment to really let that sink in about me personally, right now, here in this place, it's hard to believe it. It's hard to own up to that. It's hard to receive that. And I believe there's a million reasons why, and it's all so unique, and we all have our own stories and our own reasons, but I believe we will always struggle to love completely until we allow ourselves to be completely loved. And perhaps that's a place where we can start. If we want to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, maybe we can just start with allowing ourselves to be loved perfectly by Him. Christ proved His love for us that while we were still sinners, He chose to die for us. And that perfect love is expressed perfectly on the cross. So we know it's there. We know it. We know it makes sense. But yet, for some reason, our hearts still have those walls. But imagine if we were more intentional in our time of prayer, in the times we go to Mass, and in our relationships with others. Imagine if we were more intentional to, to have a posture of radical receptivity, a posture that would receive the love of God and let it sink in to recognize that although we have sinned, although we are imperfect and limited, although we should have made different decisions in the past, 
God still hasn't given up on us. I believe that if we spent more time with that, if we meditated on the mystery of the crucified Lord, if we, if we in prayer, was, if we were vulnerable enough to open up our hearts to the saving blood of Jesus Christ, I believe that our hearts would be so impacted that it would outpour freely for others. I believe that to love completely is not as hard as it sounds if we allow ourselves to be completely loved. And God does that so often. He does it not only through history, but even in the now. He does it by speaking to, our, to us in prayer. He does it by um, providing for us in our daily circumstances. And he does it through the loving words and actions that we may receive from others. He is alive and he, he knows exactly what you need. But we resist. But the Lord's not afraid of our resistance. He won't give up. He's very patient. And if we allow ourselves to receive, the more and more that we open ourselves up to receive that love of Christ, it will, I believe, outpour freely and very simply without having to overanalyze it and strategize about it. It will outpour so that we can love completely to others. Amen.